turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests. Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn them Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Millennials. Joining me today is someone who has sent over 10 million emails in her career. She is an email marketing and copywriting expert, a marketing instructor at the University of Vermont, and an owner of her own marketing agency. I'm excited to welcome to the show, Liz Willits. Liz, how are you? I'm good. How about you, Daniel? Good, good. It's good to finally chat after interacting with each other on LinkedIn for, I don't know, many months. Um, yeah. It's good to, good to finally get the face-to-face. Yeah, um, totally agree. Yeah, I feel like we've been, you know, friends on LinkedIn for quite a while. And now, like, now we're, you know, virtual friends too. Well, you know, podcast friends. <laughs> I want to get into something before we get into the meat, meat of things. How did you meet Bill Murray in a cheese shop? <laughs> yeah, so I was in London with my brothers and we were like walking on the street and um my little brother at the time he was probably like 16 this person walked by and I didn't even look at them and he says that was Bill Murray and and my older brother and I are like no 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 way that wasn't that wasn't Bill Murray and he said, yeah, it was. And so we walked down the block and looked into the store at this person had walked into, which happened to be a cheese shop. And we looked in and yeah, it was Bill Murray. And um, so we ended up, my older brother didn't want to bother him. But my little brother said to me, he said, uh, of all the people I could meet in the world, he is the number two person I want to meet. The number one person, it turns out, was Jim Carrey. And so, you know, after after he said that, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go in with you and, and we'll meet him. And so we went in and, and chatted with him and he was very nice, super friendly. I don't know if you've ever heard any stories of Bill Murray encountering people, but he, uh, yeah, he's he's just super friendly and um, very pleasant. That's a, that's a crazy story. It's funny because growing up, everybody asked me if Bill Murray was my cousin just because I have Murray as my last name. So I thought I'd break it with that. Going into the some of the marketing stuff, like I want to know how you got into marketing and then how did it end up being email marketing that became your path? Yeah, good question. So back in college, I was an English major, communications minor, and like a business focus. And I was trying to figure out what to do with that, knew I loved to write, and content marketing was a rising marketing field at that point. And so I had heard about content marketing and decided to look into it and really fell in love with it. And so I got my first job out of college at a SaaS technology company doing all kinds of content marketing, worked there year, like two and a half years. And then I ended up uh, working for a Weber and they're an international email marketing platform. Again, another uh, SaaS technology company. And there I was doing all kinds of content marketing and running the email marketing strategy. And 
that's where, you know, I was sending millions of emails and looking at what so many just brilliant email marketers were doing to be successful with email marketing. And I got to basically invest five years in studying email and content marketing when I worked at, as I, you know, worked that, worked in that role and I uh, lived in the email marketing world. So yeah, email marketing is a super, like, you know, most people don't want to admit, oh, I'm an email marketing expert because uh, we think of email marketers as those spammy people who harass us in our inboxes. But yeah, I, I fell in love with it. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I want to segue into also like, why do you think people are saying email marketing is dead? Because I think that's like the most ridiculous statement, but I want to hear your point of view of that. Yeah. So I think it's a combination of things. I think people have really bad email marketing practices. And so their email marketing is unsuccessful. And then they decide, um, oh, email marketing as a whole must not work. Whereas really it's it's the practices they're using that aren't that effective. A lot of people are doing really spammy things with email and they're not using uh, opt-in email marketing and they're spamming people. And then they're like, hey, why am I not successful? So that's one thing. And then the other thing is we all tend to stray towards the sexy things. And email has been around probably longer than either of us have been alive. So it's definitely not sexy. Uh, and people, the sexy, sexy marketing channels are social media. So I think that's the other reason people kind of, you know, smack on email because uh, email has just been around for a long time. And for the people who are smacking on email right now, could you tell them what are like the benefits of having email and why it's not dead and why you should invest your time and effort into it? Yeah, I have a super specific example. Uh, and you probably will get this, Daniel. Have you noticed the uh, LinkedIn algorithm change recently? Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah. And have you noticed how it's like really impacting, you know, our, our posts uh, just for, you know, clarity for the audience, Daniel and I post on LinkedIn all the time. And we both have pretty successful posts. So that's the context here. So yeah, have you noticed, you've noticed the difference with the algorithm for sure? Yep. I've seen it. I mean, going down and down with organic views and going down and down on like profile views. And, and it happened recently, like two to three weeks ago, I would say. Yeah. Same here. So same here. And that's the downside of social. Uh, we can build these massive audiences on social and then tomorrow LinkedIn can decide, eh, no, we want to put more ads on the platform and we're not going to give organic traffic or visibility to these individuals any longer. And uh, all of a sudden you could have invested years building up you know, an audience on any social platform and this same thing can happen. And the advantage of email is that there is no algorithm. You own your email list and you can determine if your subscribers are going to get an email or not. And you can really count on email. You know, if you're getting a certain average open rate and average click-through rate, you can depend on that. As long as you're following good email marketing practices and as long as you're sending good content to your subscribers, you know, you're gonna get, it's gonna get in front of them. The other thing about email subscribers is they're your fans. They opted into your list. They're really engaged and they're basically signing up for the, you know, the VIP experience of getting your content. And uh, so it's this really super engaged audience that you can control, unlike with uh, social media, where we're just kind of, 
you know, I love social media, obviously, but we are, you know, we're stuck, you know, at the whims of the social media platforms. It's basically the battle of owned real estate versus real estate that these social channels own. So like you said, LinkedIn goes away tomorrow, your audience goes away, but you could basically, if a Weber disappears tomorrow, you could take your email list from a Weber and put it in HubSpot and it still will be your email list. Like you can't, you own that, which is right. amazing. Could you give a couple tips on like how to grow this email list? Because that that's a hard part too, because a lot of, I've seen a lot of people, they have bad practices with growing an email list. Either it's like a bot list or it's a clickbait to get an email. So what are some good practices of growing an email list? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's definitely some bad practices to stay away from our buying email lists, our, um, you know, renting email lists. Those um, can all cause email deliverability issues and just really low engagement. But good practices are creating my favorite thing to do. And this can work across so many industries, B2B, B2C, is to create a lead magnet. So to create a valuable piece of content that will help your audience. And they can get it just by opting into your email list. In exchange, you send them that valuable piece of content. And just like that, people will start signing up for your list. You know, I have a lead magnet on my personal website. And people just sign up for it. And uh, my list is just growing and growing and growing. And uh, I don't have to do anything, you know, additional. I don't have to advertise my email list. It just works. So lead magnets, you know, tried and true. It's not going to blow anyone's mind. Probably most people have heard about them, but they work like crazy. They work really well. Uh, And the other thing you can do is just have a really value-packed regular newsletter you send, and that can act as your lead magnet. People will opt in to get that newsletter. A great example of this is Total Anarchy by Ann Hanley. She has just a really excellent value-packed newsletter, and people opt in to get the newsletter. Yeah, I mean... Newsletter, those are two great tips for everybody here. One, have a, a lead magnet. One of my favorite types of I would lead magnet is like a calculator or a, a a tool to help someone. So like I think what what what's that? There's an email marketing deliverability platform and send sender score where they that's their lead magnet for validity. The company that has it but they have a whole site that's just a tool that's basically a lead magnet for them to like send which is so cool that's a great example of a, a lead magnet as well that works really well yeah yeah and for example the lead magnet i offer on my site is um just a, p- a question people ask me all the time about email marketing which is how do you get higher open rates and so the guides about how to get high open rates. Yeah, you can just answer one of the most common questions or solve one of the common problems your audience has. And if you're e-commerce, it can just be a product discount, you know, a 10% off coupon. But yeah, it can be really straightforward. So let me ask you this. How do you get higher open rates for email? (laughs) Good question. So For one, first things first, sending valuable content to your audience so that when they get emails in their inbox from you, 
they say to themselves, I got to open this because it's from Daniel and his content's phenomenal. And so that's one thing. Another thing you can do is obviously in the subject line, get people's attention either by creating curiosity or by being really straightforward and saying, hey, here's what's inside this email. And if it's a valuable topic for them, they'll open it. So subject line, definitely valuable content, definitely. But then a few other things you can do are first off, not buying an email list is going to have a big impact. But then you can also use confirmed opt-in. And confirmed opt-in is when someone subscribes via sign-up form or something like that. They get an email. The email says, confirm your subscription. They click a button in the email, confirm their subscription. And what this does is it makes sure that people who enter their email address incorrectly, that they aren't added to your list. And it also ensures that people really do want to be subscribed. And when I uh, use confirmed opt-in, you know, the open rates are just higher inherently. Uh, it's just the way it works. And often email marketing platforms will send your emails from a higher deliverability server if you're using confirmed opt-in because it's good for it, it's good it's really good for email deliverability to use confirmed opt-in basically. I saw actually an interesting tweet yesterday and I kind of want to segue into a topic that you talk about a lot with this, but they said the goal of marketing is to sell the click. So I want to segue into this because I think a lot of people a lot of people mess up with email marketing is having bad copy. So like I want to talk about like what are some tips to for like good email copy? And a second question, and I know you've talked about this, but like long versus short copy, your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so first off, tips for, for copywriting. A few simple things that I recommend for everyone is use really short sentences, use really short paragraphs. It's easier to read. It's less overwhelming to read. It's easier for people reading from mobile, mobile devices. It's easier to scan. So those are just simple things you can do. The other thing I recommend is adding in a lot of personal stories. Often when people write for brands, it's like all of a sudden they're not a person. They write like this kind of corporate entity and it's not interesting. No one wants to read that. If brands can add more life and humanity and actually send the email from themselves, from the individual writing the email for the brand, sure, use the brand's voice and tone. If you're really snarky and the brand is not, you don't want to all of a sudden be super snarky. Uh, but you know, use personal story, be human. It's so much more interesting than 99% of the copy out there. And then have a strong hook. So make sure you're hooking the reader from the very first sentence with something that's interesting. I see a lot of people start their emails with something like, you know, it's a product announcement or a feature announcement. And they're like, we announced, we, we are very proud that we've launched this brand new feature. And that has to be like the most boring sentence ever. As a reader, you're like, you're very proud of yourselves. You know, you, you, you know, it's just, it's just so self-focused. And I see different vari variations of that in so much copy where the first sentence, the hook, the thing is that that's supposed to be one of the strongest parts of this copy. It's uh, focused on the company and not on the reader. It's not even interesting to the reader. So have a strong hook. And then uh, on the on the debate, uh, long versus short copy in emails. Uh, 
you know, people ask me about that all the time. And I, as a writer, as a copywriter, my answer is write, you know, make it as long as you need to, to grab the attention of the audience and get them to do the action you want them to take. So if you just want them to click through to a blog post, it might be really short and you just might need to make them curious what's in that blog post. But if you're trying to get them to buy a $3,000 course, uh, you're probably going to need more than two sentences of copy to convince them to do that. But I also encourage people, like if, you're, if you can't write, you might want to lean towards shorter and just really work on your writing skills. If you haven't honed your writing skills and you're trying to keep people entertained with this like 800 word email, it's going to be difficult. So some research I did back at the company I used to work at, uh, Aweber, they found, we found that the average length of an email is about 400 and some words, which is about a two minute read. That's interesting. I did not know that stat. And I, I totally agree with that point where short copy, there's different use cases for both, but they both work in different use cases. And I like what um, some famous copywriters have said and that the people who read long copy are your buyers because they are the ones who like they want specifics like they want to know what they're 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 buying when you're trying to sell a blog blog post like you're probably selling in the blog post or you, you have like a story there so you have to get them as quick as possible but an email that's long that's selling what you're a three thousand dollar course you have to tell them what they're getting out of it and also if you're not a good writer what you just said like the goal of your good writing is to get to make the reader want to get to the second line. So if you can't even get someone from the first to second to third line, <laughs> it's going to be hard for you, you to get them to the line 18, 19. I want to segment into what elements make a good email. Just like what elements in general? Yeah. Like I know a lot of people just like don't think about pre-header text. Mm. A lot of people don't think about like how important the subject line is. Like they 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 spend the least amount of time on the something that matters one of the most important things in an email. So I just want to know like what are like those couple like elements that make a good email successful? Yeah. I mean if your subject line doesn't get them to open the email, you have a big problem. <laughs> So definitely focus on subject line. But what I have found of subject lines is that, again, if you're sending really valuable content regularly, people really care less about the subject line. They're just going to open your email. But in, in your first few emails, it's really important to build that reputation and to have good subject lines. And for someone who's on the fence about opening the subject line is going to make a huge difference. So definitely your subject line, definitely your pre-hitter text, which is the text, the unbolded text that appears to the right of or below your subject line. And most people don't even set pre-hitter text. And that's why you'll sometimes see in the inbox something like a uh, display image or some rando long link or <laughs> view email and browser. It just, it basically what it's pulling in is the, the text at the very beginning of the email, which could be anything. That space is really important real estate in the inbox that encourages people to open. So you want to set pre-header text and you want to be creative in how you set it. Uh, it looks different when someone's opening from a mobile device versus when they're opening uh, on desktop. So review the email, review a test of the email in both of those places to see how it looks. So definitely focus on those two. But then the copy, 
the copy of the email is to me the most important factor that's going to determine if someone's going to read it, if someone's going to click, if they're not. And a lot of people write it in when it comes to copy and they spend more time on design. And I'm a big fan of design, but you, if you have a beautiful email of terrible copy, you're going to get like people who love design maybe clicking on your email because they're just wowed by your design, but you're not going to be conveying your message and getting your, your buyer to click. So copy is super important. And I'm usually typically an advocate of simple design, especially for people who don't have an email design team. So keep the design simple. Don't overdo it. If you're in a highly visual industry, so for instance, you're a recipe food blogger and you're creating, you're promoting all these beautiful recipes, you should have a picture of the recipe in the email. It's like, it's gorgeous. So if you're in a highly visual industry, use images in your emails. Don't use stock images. Uh, use photos that you're actually taking yourself. So those are what, that's what I would recommend. Those are all good suggestions. People should definitely take that advice to for their emails. I want to ask you a question that was one of my like favorite interview questions. And my, my old boss, when I got into like marketing automation, asked me this and it's basically what was your biggest like email marketing fail? And, and the reason why I wanted to ask you this is because like, I feel like you haven't done email marketing if you haven't failed a couple of times in there. That's why I want to ask, I want to hear a story of like when you failed. Uh, um, there's probably one story I, I legit can't tell you about, but let's just say it was a massive, a massive fail that uh, caused some huge issues with some renowned companies. Uh, <laughs> so I probably shouldn't get into that one, but, uh, I mean, I have absolutely, absolutely sent emails with broken links and typos to hundreds of thousands of email subscribers and that is a terrible feeling. And, you know, my team, like that happened with my team too. And I would review their emails and we would be in a hurry and we'd, we'd miss something and it would go out and it's in the inbox. And I'm like, crap. And definitely had times too, where there was a disagreement on messaging, but it was too late because the email had already went out. You know, mm -hmm. one of the, one of the big things about email is it's not like a blog post where you can just go in and edit it and it's all good. Once it's out there, you're stuck with that. And uh, one, one funny story, my colleague and I, she had started at the company recently and I, you know, I'm a big Eagles fan. And so the Eagles had won the Super Bowl that year. And so I went to the the parade in Philadelphia, uh, and I was took PTO that day, and she sent our weekly email newsletter, and I was in a, a cheesesteak shop getting a cheesesteak in in Philadelphia, like in the middle, like with all my Eagle stuff on, and in, in the middle of this parade day, and I opened my email to check the newsletter, and I I opened it, and it was just like this massive the, the template had broken and it was all like broken code and just a mess so it turned out it was no one's like it was just a, a glitchy sort of thing and no one's fault but we had to send out like one of those oops 
emails and, you know, apologize to our subscribers. So I've definitely had things like that happen quite frequently. And it's not a one time thing. It's happened multiple times. And I think that's just a good lesson in marketing is forgetting like your last fail and just kind of moving on. And the bosses that understand that there are fails in marketing are the ones that are probably the better marketers anyway, because that means they're testing and trying things. So like I said, like I've probably failed multiple times in email and probably done a couple of things you've done already. Sometimes the marketing automation system has saved me, but sometimes it doesn't. What would you tell people if they came to you and said, hey, when should I use text emails versus HTML emails? <laughs> like plain, total, completely plain text yeah, email? Like plain text, like I'm sending a one-to-one email on Gmail versus like I'm going to do a template and send it to someone. Okay. Yeah. So when it comes to, if you're sending through an email marketing platform, like 99.9% of the time, I would say send an HTML email because there's this misconception around plain text emails when, as you know, when they come from marketing platforms. And the idea is that people think that a plain text email is a simple looking email. That's actually most of these simple looking email you, you see that are intended to look like letters or intended to look like one-on-one emails, but they're sent from a marketing platform. Uh, most of them are HTML emails because they have things like uh, they have styling, they have bolded text, they have italicized text, they might have a hyperlinked text, and that is all HTML styling. A plain text email, legit, it'll just have no styling at all. And then if there's a link in this email, it's going to be the full link just put in the email. Uh, and the link might be like massively long and uh, it's going to look pretty hideous. And the other downside of a plain text email is the your email platform won't be able to track open rate because email platforms track open rate via a, a small invisible image in every email. HTML, I mean, plain text emails have no images in them. And so open rates can't be tracked. And so these uh, a, a plain text email, because you can't track the open rate, it looks kind of ridiculous to me. I never send them. I recommend HTML emails if you're sending marketing messages. Now, when it comes to uh, heavily stylized HTML emails versus a simple looking HTML email, you know, I think that depends on your brand and what your email strategy is all about. I never send plain text emails and I never do it for my clients either. I want to go to a point you just made because I saw a post about this that actually was a kind of an aha moment for me as well, that like email marketing platforms don't track open rates as well as you think because some email platforms don't read that little image there. So I just wanted to like, how much of a variance is it actually like from like what you actually think your email open rate is versus what it should be? And like, how much do you should you rely on that email open rate metric? Yeah, email open rates aren't 100% accurate because again, yeah, certain certain people will have image loading turned off by uh, in their preferences on their inbox and if they have this set, then they could open every email and it won't track as an open. So, that is definitely something to keep in mind. I believe although this data, uh, you know, I don't have the data in front of me or I don't know the data, but I believe open rates are 
typically pretty accurate because I'll get open rates in like the 90th percentile sometimes or high 80th percentile. Uh, so I doubt I'm getting 100% open rate. Like I doubt 100% of people are <laughs> opening it and then like, oh, just those, you know, other percentage of people don't have images turned on. So if I can get like a really high open rate like that, I think that's pretty, pretty accurate because I doubt I'm approaching 100% open rate. It's just very unlikely. So again, that's not data-based. That's from experience and my gut feeling on it. But it is something to be aware of for two reasons. One, if you're cleaning your email list, which you should be, don't simply delete people who who haven't opened an email in months uh, because they may be opening emails and your email marketing platform might not be tracking it. So instead, send them a re-engagement email, ask if they want to be subscribed, and if they don't respond to that, then you can delete them. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And the other thing to keep in mind is that although open rates aren't 100% accurate, your overtime open rate gives you a really solid benchmark of what to aim for. So for instance, if you're averaging an 80% open rate, all of a sudden you get a 60% open rate on the email, you know you have a problem. Uh, you don't have to be like, oh, that's because opens aren't tracking because you know your historical averages and what those are. Uh, and you can assume that there's a percentage of your audience who has image loading turned off and then that percentage remains rather consistent unless like you grow your list by thousands and thousands of subscribers overnight. Going on to like the metrics part of things, what metrics should an email marketer look at to say like at a successful campaign? Like what are the metrics, key metrics that they should be tracking? Sales. (laughs) But I mean, but I mean, but really, if you're trying to hit the sales metric that that's definitely ultimately the the most important thing. Uh, beyond that, maybe not everyone every time is trying to get sales out of an email. Sometimes we're trying to get click throughs to our website or to a webinar or to a blog post. In that case, click through rate becomes super important. But basically, all the metrics you want to track are open rate, click through rate, your sales, and your unsubscribe rate and your spam complaint rate. Yeah, so you want to look for huge variances or, you know, either high or low variances in any of those numbers. And if you notice a significant drop off in like click through rate, keep an eye on that. Uh, You know, you want to determine why that drop off happened. Was it something wrong with the content? Was it your call to action wasn't any good? Was it that you're whatever you're selling, they don't, your people don't want it? Uh, And then if your unsubscribe rate, increases a lot or your uh, spam complaint rate increases a lot. Again, this is another big warning sign that people probably weren't expecting the content you sent them or you sent them spammy content. So those are good warning indicators. And if you notice those spam or unsubscribe rates rise a ton, then watch out. Typically, like for your like people who you subscribe, who you're trying to nurture to get into a sale, like how many, like how many emails are typically in those sequences that you build out that for like nurturing people? For like nurturing new subscribers, I might have like somewhere between two or four sale emails. They're new subscribers after all, so I'm not going to like overwhelm them. But if I'm doing a product launch series for subscribers who've been subscribed for a certain period of time. So they have some level of brand loyalty because they've been on this email list for a period of time. 
And I know that they've been engaging regularly and that they're basically fans of the brand. During a launch of a new product in a week, I might send them anywhere from one to two emails a day in a two-week period, perhaps even one to two emails a day. Typically, I, I stick to more of a one email a day. So like if it's a if I'm doing a one week launch, it might be somewhere between, you know, five and nine emails. Cool. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people underestimate like the, the number of touches you can have with some people. I think you think if someone's dedicated to you and like you've created a brand loyalty, they they don't mind a couple sales emails in their inbox because they know you're going to come back and offer value yeah sometime soon so right absolutely there's this idea of um the psychological theory of reciprocity where when we help our audience out they're grateful for that and they're more likely to help us out in return and one of those things that they might do is buying but another thing they might do is say themselves they're sending me a lot of emails i don't like that but I like them and they've been really helpful to me. So I'm not going to unsubscribe. They can send me these sale emails. That's okay. And yeah, so it's like exactly what you're saying. When you you have this loyalty from your audience, even if they have no interest in buying, they'll be like, yeah, yeah, I can put up with some sale emails from Daniel because uh, you know he's really helped me out in the past. Going to something I know about you, Gary Vee wrote a book like Jab, 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 Right Hook, which is kind of like this with content marketing where you can send value, 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 and then have an ask. But the question I have for you is, how did you end up on the same podcast as Gary Vee? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that was uh, <laughs> that was just by random chance. It was like, actually, I, um, I believe the publicity the PR manager at my prior company set up that podcast interview. And I had figured it was just like, just a, I had done a lot of podcast interviews at that point. And uh, then I looked at the, like the prior episode on the podcast and it was Gary V. And I was like, dang, how did I get on this podcast? <laughs> you know, I, 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 I don't know how I got on here. So that was kind of my, my reaction after seeing that. <laughs> what was the episode about? The episode I did uh, was about email marketing. And of course, uh, the episode that Gary did, whatever he wanted to talk about, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Gary just talks about anything. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> One question I have is that I, I've always interested because I think not everything in marketing should be automated. So I like an email, like when should emails be automated and when should emails like not be automated? Yeah. So if an email has evergreen content, meaning that it's always relevant, it doesn't go out of date, then it can be automated. But if an email contains timely, like newsworthy information, then it should be automated. So for example, the skim is a daily email newsletter that sends the latest news and it's a newsletter, it's not automated because it's sending that day's latest news. And if you automated it, so for instance, like you automate it so that subscribers, when they subscribe, they get this email one day later and then this next email one day later, then they're receiving news that's who knows how old. So it doesn't make any sense at all. So 
I recommend automation. If it's an email that you want to send over and over and over again, and it's not going to go out of date, you can set it up once, automate it, forget about it, let it run for a while, and then go look at it. And a one-time email or a newsletter should be something where you're not going to be sending it out over and over again. Uh, you send it one time. So hopefully that, that helps. Hopefully I didn't oversimplify that. No, that's perfect. I want to know what companies' emails you enjoy in your inbox, because I think some companies do email marketing incredibly, and just some companies, like, I'm trying to hit unsubscribe as quick as possible. So what companies do you know do email marketing great? And I'll segue the question. Next question would be, like, what newsletters are doing email marketing great? Uh, So I think it's, uh, as far as companies who are doing email marketing really well, I love Robinhood, you know, Robinhood, the investment app, their mm-hmm. Robinhood snacks email is phenomenal, really good. Finimize, their financial company. I mean, they really uh, explain financial information to consumers. So Finimize is great. And the skim I mentioned is also doing a really phenomenal job. And so is Morning Brew. Now those companies are all information companies. So as far as like, we think like SaaS brands, HubSpot does a good job, but they kill it at at everything. <laughs> That's just the HubSpot way. I, I really like what some of the journalistic platforms are doing. Like, so for instance, the Atlantic has a really good email strategy. They send really great email newsletters all the time. So does, you know, there's a newsletter called Vox Sentences. That's really good. Yeah. So that was a lot. As far as like individual newsletters that I love, I love Anne Hanley's Total Anarchy. I mentioned that a moment ago. It's it's fabulous. It's really good. It's probably one of my favorite newsletters right now and has been for like two years. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there are those like few and I'm going to subscribe to like most of the ones you just said. So I contest they are good emails and newsletters. So good. What, like one company I really love is, and you probably aren't following, but Chubbies, they do like, there's just, they just have this tone of voice in their email that is just so funny. And it's just like, even though they're selling you something, you want to open it because you want to see like what joke they have next or what is their like funny, like pitch that they're going to, they have now. So that's a, a brand that I I look up to as a great email marketing company. Yeah, Shopee's is great, and they have yeah. such an like they have such a bro tone. You know, mm-hmm. like they I mean they sell basically what I think of as like frat frat boy clothing. They have like a frat a frat boy <laughs> like voice and tone in their emails. Like their emails are the subject line might literally be like yo, <laughs> and that's and that's the subject line. Uh, but yeah, I think they're so fun and they've, they've been really courageous in what they've done at that newsletter, which a lot of marketers are afraid to do. You know, they're afraid to take those risks and Chubby's newsletter is a risk because it's such a strong voice. Yeah. And I think that makes a good point of like how important like personality in an email is. And you kind of talked about this, but like Morning Brew, you know, like they have a tone of voice that just doesn't change in their email. Chubby has a tone of voice that just doesn't change in their email. And it makes you want to open because you like feel like 
it's personified like you feel like you talk it's a human behind there you can feel it's a human it's not like a corporation hiding behind trying to sell you it's like an actual human yeah which i love about that one last question and and i get this question so much as a marketing automation person but like what is your like favorite email marketing platform like your favorite esp oof that's tough um, cause I've worked in a, a lot of them. And for me, what I've grown to realize is it really depends on the company and on the customer and what they need. I've had clients who are using HubSpot and HubSpot is a phenomenal tool. I love it, but it's much more expensive than something like ConvertKit or AWeber. And sometimes the clients using HubSpot actually need it. And sometimes they're really doing super simple things in this really overpriced piece of tech. And so at that point, my recommendation is, let's get you something with less functionality because you're not using it all. And it's gonna save you a buttload of money because email platforms are not cheap. If you have a ton of subscribers, email platforms are not cheap. I mean, people with millions of subscribers are paying like hundreds of thousands of dollars a month for their email marketing platform. Mm -hmm. So it's not cheap. So my recommendation is, don't overpay, but definitely get the platform that you need that's going to help you make the most money because our email, the ROI of email is insane. So invest in a platform that's going to help you maximize that ROI. That being said, I really love for small businesses. I love ConvertKit. I love AWeber, obviously, although I'm a bit biased. Uh, MailChimp's a good option too. I personally don't like them as much. Uh, just because of um, my, my own reasons. And uh, HubSpot is really great if you're getting larger, something like ActiveCampaign, something like Marketo, all good options. Awesome. Yeah, those are all good options. I've been in most of those. And I'm, I don't want to even get into why you don't like MailChimp because I think you have a reason for that. But I want to get into a section of a, the show where I just – ask a couple rapid fire questions and the first thing that comes to your mind just spill it out and if you're cool with it i'll get started right now go for it cool so what is what was your first job ever ever like it doesn't have to be a paying job or anything uh babysitting four boys <laughs> oh <laughs> that must have taught you a lot because i have two brothers and it's a ton of work, <laughs> three boys. So. It, it was my most difficult job. <laughs> it definitely was. And they were all like very athletic, active boys. It was, it was challenging. Cool. What is your favorite book? Oh, geez. Non-professional, probably like the Harry Potter series. I, I love those books. They're the, one of the few series of books that I will read over and over and over that harry potter is a classic i'm a harry potter super fan so i <laughs> love that you just said that <laughs> you open your phone right now what is the app that you use the most oh that i use the most if i open yeah, it up yeah or that i've used most recently either are but i i'm interested and both those questions. What do you use the most and what do you use most recently? Well, what I use the most is, is LinkedIn, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so probably LinkedIn or Instagram. And then as far as what I use most recently, it's a bit embarrassing. It's called a Draw Classic. 
it's this game where you like draw a picture and then you send it to your friend and they have to guess what it is. And then they draw a picture and they send it to you and you have to guess what it is. So I just happened to play this right before we're doing this interview. I haven't played, played that game in like years, but just happened to today. (laughs) That is hilarious. What is your favorite brand currently? Mm. Well, right now it's, it's a hopping. H-O-P-I-N, and they're a virtual event platform, and it's just insane tech. And with COVID, virtual events have just taken off. And what I love about Hopin is just how innovative it is and the amazing events that are being run on it. So with Hopin, you can have like multiple rooms in within your event. And there have been these companies running insane events on it with like live DJs and stuff. So cool. That's crazy. I, I haven't, nobody's invited me to these kind of events, <laughs> a live DJ event. That's so cool. Uh, going into that is what is a, what is a like song or artist that you will put on to get in a good mood? I love a uh, Dermot Kennedy. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah. I love a lot of his work like giants and a lot of people have heard power over me, but yeah, he's, he's phenomenal. And last question I have is who is your like go-to in influencer? And I, I will say personal and professional. Mm. Oh, that's tough. I mean, I've, I've already mentioned Anne as being an influencer I follow, but I don't know if I can think of anyone else who I'm like super interested in right now. I don't know. I'm not an influencer type person necessarily. You know, I don't follow one person religiously myself. <laughs> I know, I know your mom's favorite ah. is you. Is yeah. you yeah. <laughs> yeah, my mom is is uh is my influencer. But yeah, she's the only one in the world who thinks I'm an influencer. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I have one last question because it just popped in my mind before you left, and I just wanted to ask you how in the world have you been getting these eighty thousand like posts? <laughs> yeah so what i found is humor works really well for me like the one that i got like 80 some thousand uh, was about i was making fun of influencers who like are like oh i i quit my job and now i'm a a millionaire and (laughs) i have three houses and uh five teslas and so like the post (laughs) the post was uh just making fun of that and then it was basically flipped around and said just kidding don't believe everything you see on social media i like to use humor like that and usually it's humor that uh is making fun of something that uh, I roll my eyes at that I see on the internet way too much. Uh, so I like humor. The other thing I found that really works with these viral posts is personal stories. You can have the point of your post and the lesson for people, but then you lead off the post of a personal story because it's stories, our minds are wired for stories. As soon as we start hearing the arc of a story or the intro of a story, it grabs our attention and we're like, oh, What's this? And that's where like that that hook comes in. You know, you can you can go to a post and like in any kind of copy, just immediately make your point. And that can be effective. But if you can just grab people's attention with an engaging story that they get into, and then that leads into the wider point of your copy, super effective. One last fun question, because I know this is gonna I know you're passionate about this. How many people copy? and pasted that post on LinkedIn. 
<laughs> like I, so <laughs> I first discovered that people were doing this because one of my friends tagged me in one of the posts. And so I thought it was just like one person initially. And then it ended up being like 15, 20 plus people had plagiarized the post word for word and were passing it off as their own copy. And this whole thing made me realize how common that is. Actually, any viral post you see almost anywhere, there's a good chance that people are plagiarizing it word for word and posting it as their own because they're trying to like, they see someone else getting success from it. And so they're basically trying to like steal notoriety and there's no one really watching this. And so you can get away with it. But then when people find out, it's kind of... Yeah, it just kind of makes you look bad. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I, I I noticed a couple of people copied your post, and I noticed I actually noticed when people copy other people's posts, and I've had multiple. I want mine. Like I'm like, dude, you just wrote exactly what I put, and you yeah. might have to just changed one line of it just to say it's yours. Well, it's been so fun talking, but I want to give you a chance to say where people could follow you. How could they follow? The, the LinkedIn influencer, according to your mom. And I, I, I also think you're a LinkedIn influencer too. So I'll give you that title as well. Two, two people. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so if you want to find me, you can find me at lizwillits.com. That's L-I-Z-W-I-L-L-I-T-S. And you can find my free guide, how to get benchmark busting email open rates right on that site. Uh, and you can learn more about me there. Follow me on LinkedIn. And if you're not following Daniel yet, you should follow Daniel on LinkedIn too. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been so fun. I, I think everybody's going to get some super value out of this. And I honestly say follow Liz. You'll see some viral posts, great email marketing tips, great copy tips, and just great marketing tips in general. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Daniel. It's been fun. 